Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I want to thank you so much for listening. We are finishing up our series, The Donation Process from the Lens of the OPO, and we've explored how the donation process works, the different departments, the people involved with the Oregon Procurement Organization, or the OPO. And we have one final position that I want to talk about, and I'm really excited that he was able to join us because he is a busy, busy man. So we've talked to people in every department as each plays a critical role in the donation value chain. And you can check out those episodes and our other episodes at lifepassiton.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As the OPO, we work with many different entities to facilitate the donation process. It truly takes a community, a community including the hospice, hospice and hospitals, hospice and care facilities. Sometimes the coroner's office is involved, depending on the manner of death. The transplant centers where organ transplants occur for those who, quite frankly, are on the brink of death and need a life-saving organ transplant to survive. There's the OPO. We facilitate the recovery of organ, eye, and tissue. The United Network of Organ Sharing, or UNOS, which houses the transplant list, are tissue processors who provide tissue and bone for transplant procedures to various medical practices that could include dental, spine, and eye centers, just to name a few. But the bookends of this process is really the person who designated themselves to be a donor or their family who made that decision on their behalf at the time of their death. This life-saving and life-changing gift begins with yes. So we're doing this series to delve into the OPO's role and functionality so that you understand how the gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation come to be and the intricacies of this life-saving and life-healing process. Also, maybe you're considering a career change. Maybe you're feeling that tug to do something that may have more meaning. This really is a place, this field is a place where it's really about giving back and there's purpose And it's in healthcare. It's just, it's a great opportunity. So I encourage you to learn more about the different roles and about each aspect of the donation value chain. So with that, I want to introduce my guest. I have with me today, Barry Massa. He is the Executive Director of Life Center and also President of the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations, or AOPO. So I want to welcome Barry. Hi, how are you? Hi, Andy. How are you? Good. Welcome back to the show. You Thank were, you. You were my very first interview. I know. It's awesome. See, we've come a long way. A you long do, you've way. done a great job with these podcasts. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So I wanted to talk about your role as AOPO president. I know from our end that we don't get to see you as much because you're in <laughs> meetings like all of the time. I mean, you were already a very busy man, but now you're really, really busy. So you've been in the role since June of last year. Right. Right. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that means? 
So our Life Center is part of 56 organ procurement organizations across the United States. 48 of those are members of the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations, or AOPO, as you Mm -hmm. said. And what AOPO does is really be that voice for the 48 members about national issues that are occurring within the organ donation and transplantation field. Okay. Okay. So... We have we have 56 OPOs, yet 47 are members. Yeah, 48. Yeah. 48. So where would happen with the other organizations? Well, AOPO is a voluntary membership, mm-hmm. so you don't have to be part of it. Some of them initially left when there was a change in the CEO of AOPO, and okay. there was some back and forth with that. Mm-hmm. One OPO did come back since that time, came back in August of this year, of 2022, sorry. Mm-hmm. But I think we're in a really good spot. I think the 48 people or organizations that are members all work very collaboratively with one another, trust each other, share information and best practices with one another. And that's how we all grow to save more lives. Yeah. So to say that you came into this role at a really kind of watershed moment for our field would be an understatement. Very much. Can you talk about some of the challenges and just what that's been like for you and managing that? Yeah. So first and foremost, I'll go back to the membership. Mm -hmm. People have asked me, other CEOs or people within other OPOs have asked me, am I going to reach out to the ones who left? Mm -hmm. And I told them at the very beginning, I'm not. Right. I'm going to concentrate on the people in the OPOs that are here Mm -hmm. and the ones that are they're the ones in the trenches and they're the ones trying to make a difference. Right. And work so I'm together. Try, and work together. Right. right. So, you know, I'm going to concentrate on them. I'm yes. going to concentrate on the ones that are here, not the ones that aren't. Right. But beyond that, the whole donation and transplantation system, as you know, has been under the microscope of late with mm-hmm. Senate Finance Committee hearings between AOPO and then UNOS and just a lot of negativity yes. in the uh, donation and transplantation field. Quite honestly, I think some things that we definitely could do better in, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to equity within the system, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're taking really good steps to do that. And I will tell you, even within AOPA, we've the DEI committee within our national association has really started to lay the groundwork for Again, developing best practices within mm-hmm. our field and within our members. So right. that's just one area where I think we're doing a really good job, but I think we have a really good pathway to address the issues. Yeah. And I think we're doing getting there in terms of making really good, sound changes that will benefit all 56 Oregon procurement organizations, right. whether you're a member or not, they're going to benefit you whether right. they're a member or not. And right. but. AOPO has a goal of 50,000 organs transplanted from deceased donors in 2026. Last year, there was a little bit shy of 40,000. Medicare had us us as a nation a goal of 40,000 in 2026. And we kind of took it to the next level to say, we're going to do 50,000. I think we're going to get there. I do too. I do too. I feel like every year, the number of transplants increases. So if we just continue to do what we're doing. I think we'll reach that goal and save more lives. So that's awesome. Right. So, And I think it's just like anything else, uh, whether it's politics or anything, you could focus on the negativity 
or you could focus on the positivity mm-hmm. and we're going to focus on the positivity. Right. But at the same time, as an association, we're going to take a more proactive stance when it comes to people providing misinformation to others. I think it's been great. Obviously, there's just articles pop up and they really try to put the work that we do and kind of put us in the negative light. And I really appreciate the fact that you as AOPO president have been responding and correcting the information, number one. And because this is a multifaceted process, like this is not just the OPO. We work with the transplant centers. We work with all these entities to make this happen. And quite frankly, I think this is a transformational time because it's, we're going to be better. We're going to save more lives. So how it kind of all unfolded was unfortunate and kind of the the -hmm. negativity, but I think ultimately it's going to be a good thing because we're going to do better work as a field. And then I think, uh, you know, to your point, you're exactly right. Us as a OPO field have taken a lot of arrows, if you will, you know, about the negativity, but really what it is morphed into is taking a look at the entire system of organ donation and transplantation. And it's not just incumbent upon OPOs. If it was, it would be so easy to correct. Correct. But there really has been some really good studies into the whole system. The National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine did a, was some, asked by Congress to look into this situation, and they provided a report in February of 2022, again, looking at the entirety of the system. And while there are some things that OPOs can do to do better, I mean, it went back to look at even how people are listed or placed on the transplant list right. or not. Right. Because people without the means even to get to the hospital mm-hmm. may not be then listed who need a transplant. Mm-hmm. So there's that equity piece that I talked about before about making sure that everybody in need yes. gets their transplant, not just the people that are on the wait list. Because there's also people that for one reason or another, they don't have insurance or right. whatever that are not placed on the list that they need to be there too. Right. I so, love that. I love how you said that because that's it's absolutely true. Yeah. So while there's, what, 116,000 people on the wait list, it's more than that because there's people right. that aren't even listed. Right. But we have to recognize that entire process and see how we can improve the process, not just a single area of the yeah. process. So, but like I said, I think that opened the eyes to look at it on a system-wide basis. And I could tell you from AOPO standpoint, we've been more involved in so many different things mm-hmm. than we ever had before historically, including speaking with the FAA about how organs are transported yes. on commercial flights. Yeah. I never thought I would be talking to the head of TSA, <laughs> you know, to say how 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 can we improve this process? But but that's the level of detail that we're getting into. I think that's awesome. So what really started this this journey, if you will, was an executive order issued by former President Trump mm-hmm. to really try to address issues with transplant and encourage more transplants to, to occur. Right. I mean, it was really specifically focused on kidney health. Yes. And their goal was to have OPOs do more organ donors and do more organs transplanted. Okay. We all want to do that. Right. But 
we as OPOs can do a lot to control how many organ donors that we do, mm-hmm. making sure we're going out on all the referrals that the hospitals provide and so forth. That we do, and we are, because don't get me wrong that we're not going on those. We are. But to get organs transplanted, we as OPOs recover organs and make them available to the transplant centers for those people that are on the wait list. Right. But we are not the ones that accept those organs on behalf of their patients. Correct. And those waiting. So that's why it, you have to take a systematic approach to this, not just single focus on OPOs. Right. And like I said, I'd, ever since that came out, I mean, I would tell you just every OPO has looked at their internal processes mm-hmm. uh, to really see, okay, what are we doing and what are we missing on and right. what can we improve upon right. so that we can meet the goals of that executive order. Right. And donation has gone up for the last five years. Yes. And the number of organs transplanted has risen over their last five years. But with that, the number of discarded organs has risen too. And if we could just reduce that discard rate or the organs that are recovered but not transplanted, there literally thousands of lives could be saved. Oh, wow. Do you have any thoughts on how that could happen? Again, you know, if you take a systematic approach, some of, quite frankly, some of the policies that are in place now allow for that to occur. Like you can, a transplant center can accept more than one organ for their recipient. So if they accept two organs from, for the same recipient and just say the one donor is in Cincinnati and the second donor they accepted the organ on is in Columbus. Well, if they take the organ from the donor in Columbus, that means the donor from Cincinnati, they're not going to take that organ, but then it may be too late to place it with anybody else in order to get to where that next person is on the list and the transportation of that organ and so forth. So changing some of these policies would help. The National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, which is the NASM report, talked about also hospitals are not equally staffed Monday through Thursday versus Friday through Sunday. I thought that was very interesting in that report. In every organization in America is working through staffing issues, right? Not just, it's not just unique to hospitals, but I think historically hospitals have had lower staff, a lower level of staff Mm -hmm. or number of staff during Friday, Saturday, Sunday, than they have Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday. And there is a correlation that there's less organs accepted during weekends and holidays, Yeah, which... Unfortunately, 20 organ donation is a 24 hour, seven day a week, 365 days a year job, which is so is transplant. So we all have to be ready when those situations occur. And we we all want to be home for Christmas. We all want to be home for Thanksgiving. But sometimes in this field, we have to do what our duty calls for and carry out our mission of saving lives. Right. Right. And that's all of us. That's the OPO. That's the transplant centers. It's everyone. This yeah, and, and I'm not pointing, no. shooting those arrows for, right. that we're receiving back right. to the transplant centers. But again, we have to look at it in its entirety. Yes. And, you know, that's why I'm saying it from a really systematic standpoint, we Agreed. need to make some changes. Agree. What, during your tenure as AOPO president, what's been most frustrating for you? Time. Uh, you, know. <laughs> you don't have enough of it. <laughs> there's only 24 hours in a day. If we could extend that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But yeah, you know, there's just so much to do and we all have limited resources. AOPO as an association has about 10, maybe 
right. uh, 10-ish employees. You know, so there's so much, there's only so much bandwidth we could do. Right. In that amount, there's a lots to there's lots to do, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the frustrating thing for me is, besides the time aspect, is just getting people to focus on the priorities mm-hmm. and getting everybody involved. Like like I said, from a systematic standpoint, okay, we're working with the National Kidney Foundation to help with things related to kidney donation. Mm-hmm. We're working with the American Society of Transplantation, the American Society of transplantation surgeons mm-hmm. and getting all these different entities involved and right. everybody has their own mission and the things that they are looking for, but getting everybody together, including our government regulatory agencies like Medicare, like HRSA, um, to all come to the table and say, this is what we need to do it together. Mm-hmm. It, that format just does not exist. Gotcha. And if there was a way to get Everybody that's involved together, mm-hmm. we could solve it, but there's just not that way to do that right now. And mm-hmm. we've had, as AOPO, we've had lots of conversations with Medicare. Mm-hmm. We've met with HRSA, but we need to get everybody to the table. And yes. I think my last call with uh, Medicare was, gave me a little bit of hope and positivity because they said, okay, on our next call, let's get representatives from our transplant centers involved. And thankfully... Corey King, who's a transplant, transplant center administrator at University of Cincinnati, agreed to be part of that, wow. um, be part of that solution. So I think they are starting to look at it from a wider lens. Yeah. So hopefully that continues, but it's not just like three organizations need to be together. It right. needs to be like 12 organizations together right. and getting them all speaking in the same, same way. way. <laughs> and, and if we could, we can make this happen. Yes. But it sounds like it, like you said, it, it This gave you some hope, like it's moving in that direction. I I think we are, like I said, our last call with them gave me some hope. And so I think we are moving in that direction and hopefully it continues. Mm -hmm. So you worked with Steve Miller, who is, what what is his title? He's the CEO of AOPO. So you've had to work very closely with him during your time as president. Obviously. And and you both seem to work really well together and, and have... The same yeah, and, goal. and right away, we, I established that, okay, we're going to meet every week. That's great. Because the, our the predecessor before I took over as president, they just met whenever they needed to talk. I'm right. like, I need to be a little bit more proactive with that. And with my calendar, the way it is yes. now, with all the different things asked of me as president of AOPO, it just makes more sense to have a scheduled meeting. So yeah, we meet every Wednesday for at least an hour. <laughs> usually takes longer, but it's all really good things to keep us on track. Right. You know, well, that's great. That's great. What do you see five years? Let's say we're five years removed from everything that's going on with the transplant field right now. What do you see happening? What does it look like? I honestly honestly think in five years, I think it would be a lot more cohesive. I don't know if there's going to be OPO consolidation due to the final rule. Right. I don't know how it's going to work with yet with the uh, transplant centers and holding them accountable too, but I think that's coming as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially on their acceptance rates for mm-hmm. the organs that we recover as an OPO to right. make sure that they're being used. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, going to occur, but I think it will be a better overall system. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to probably take all five years to get there. Yes. But I think in five years, you're going to have a much more cohesive donation and transplantation system 
that allows more people to get transplanted and less organs being recovered, but not transplanted, mm-hmm. which is terrible. Right. Right. Is there one thing that you like that just burns you up? That's a, a misconception about the OPO, about donation, anything that you're just like, I want to clear this up. Well, you know, <laughs> some of the negativity that was brought to about OPOs was that we don't go out on every referral. We treat people with different ethnicities, different, you know, that were a monopoly. So we, we act like we don't care. Mm. That could not be further from the truth. Anybody that's in an organ procurement organization, you know, like I said, it's a 24 hour, seven day a week, 365 day a year job. And you're not in here and in this role or in this organization unless you're passionate about the mission. Mm-hmm. So there's a, everybody is passionate about the mission, about making sure a donor's wishes are adhered to or, or honored. done, honored. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Working with the donor families, making sure we're trying to save as many lives as possible. Yeah. We're going out, whether it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. or 10 a.m. Right. So the misconception that's out there that we're not doing those things is just completely false, but kind of like politics. People just keep on repeating the same thing and then yeah. that's what people hear and so they think it's true. I mean, just like anything else, you can't always believe what you read <laughs> right. or see on the internet <laughs> right. or see on social media. Yeah. But the fact is that OPOs are doing more organ donors and more organs transplanted than ever before. That's right. And not that we can't improve more. Right, right. But we are making improvements and we are saving more lives. And I think there could be more lives saved if we've just worked in closer unison Mm -hmm. with all the other entities or all the other entities who worked in closer unison with the OPOs. Right. Really. Right. I definitely agree. So I would say you're definitely a bridge builder. And I think that's what has served you so well in this role as AOPO president. Like you just, you want to do the very best that you can to make this system better. And you just, you're open to other perspectives and, and just like, with, again, with the end goal being like, how do we improve so that we can save more lives? And I've, I've actually heard that from other organizations that I've talked to, that they are just really grateful to have you leading the organization. It just, I mean, this is an intense time. It really is. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. No, and I, you know, I'm honored to be in this role. I actually did not nominate myself. <laughs> I actually nominated somebody else, but when they asked me to be part of it. I jumped at it. Yeah. And I think it is a really unprecedented time, as you said, but I think it's an important time. And if we can at least lay that foundation to make it go, right, achieve what we want to do in five years, right. that would be a great way for me to at least add value to my time as a OPO president. Yeah. I definitely think you're doing that. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot and we appreciate your leadership and your voice. It's just, it's much needed. Uh, especially during this time. So thank you. Thank you for all that you do. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I think, like I said, we as our association are really are trying to make a positive difference. Yeah. We're speaking on behalf of really all 56, whether you're a member or not. Right. But I very much appreciate the 48 that are staying and, and again, sharing and being trusting of our, of your colleagues to share best practice so that we all could get better. And that's how we, as a field, are going to save more lives and get 
more people on the wait list their life-saving gift. So absolutely. All right. Well, again, I want to thank you for joining me today. And I think this was really informative and um, just really important information that needs to be shared. So thank you. I know, like I said, you're a busy man. (laughs) Thanks for having me again. Hopefully I get to do it again. Maybe. We'll see. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as we close out our show, Today, there are 104,076 men, women, and children who need life-saving organ transplants. And 21 of those people will die today because the organ they needed was not available. What can you do? Well, if you're not registered, seek out the information, seek the truth, do your research, and learn what being a donor truly means. You can speak with a medical professional or someone who's gone through the experience as either a donor family member recipient, or living donor. If you've thought about registering to be a donor, please do so at lifepassiton.org or registerme.org or when you go to renew your license. There's also the option for many people to be living kidney donors, which is a tremendous way to help your fellow human being who is in need of a life-saving transplant. And this is especially important because the vast majority of those on that national waiting list are those that need life-saving kidney transplants. And then as we close out the show today, I want to dedicate this to Olivia Zick. Olivia was a living kidney donor in 2016. She was very active with Life Center as an ambassador, um, just sharing her story and really sharing her why she decided to be a living kidney donor. She was a bright spirit. And unfortunately, Olivia passed away on February 11th and at the age of 30. And so I just want to extend our thoughts and prayers to Olivia's family, friends, and her fellow police officers. So with that, I want to thank everyone for listening and just remind you to please be kind to yourself and to others. Take care. This episode is brought to you by LifeSetter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the national transplant waiting list for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.